Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. Sitting around for dinner time is as old as humanity. In fact, it's actually older. Our ancestors, our distant relatives, our cousins, many primates, have all gathered around to eat and share food. Though the atmosphere and the methods have changed, the tradition still exists, but may be on the brink of extinction. But before we get too far into dinner conversation, Nick, how are you and what are you drinking? I'm doing great. I got some rogue dead guy ale per usual here with me. Mike, what do you got? I'm drinking some Old Forester, and anytime I get to open with a pun, I absolutely love it. But yes, we are talking about the dinner table. Not the physical thing, the act of sitting around and eating. And this has been so entied with humanity and even creatures like humans. It's something, Nick, you ever have one of those things where it's so obvious in front of you, but you're so used to and accustomed to it, it takes you a minute when you sit back and realize what it actually is? Uh, yes, researching this episode, trying to figure out how to define the words I was looking for. Like, oh, what what am, what am I looking for? Uh, dining room? Communal dining? Eating together? Sharing food? Sharing meal? Did Nick, are you just like me and got a lot of uh, health magazine stuff, like how to set the dining room table for a certain holiday or something like oh, that? Oh, yeah, a ton of... Uh, yeah, a lot of surprising amount of uh, religious references of communal dining and stuff. So, yeah, it's uh, none of what I was looking for. <laughs> well, maybe I can help with the beginning. Like I said, it's been a huge part of our evolution. And some scientists hypothesize that since we are not nocturnal creatures and we're mostly day creatures, it was a big difference to eat around the fire. See, most creatures eat, during, if they're daytime creatures, during the day so they can see if any predators could come up and try to steal their food. But for us, with the mastery of fire, our species was able to eat when it was dark, giving us more hours in the day to, to do things, more hours to work, more hours to eat. And I believe that probably did play a huge part of our evolution. And uh, we're not going to really be talking about how food, cooked food, changed our brains because that's, that's a whole episode in itself. But... I, it's another interesting thing because we think going back all the way to the beginning of when humanoids started to eat around the fire is when the sun went down and everyone gathered for dinner, parts of our conversation changed. It's It sounds strange and sounded strange to me, but it seems like the same things that are true today were true back then. During the daytime, human conversations tend to be about work or gossip, but during nighttime, is when dancing and talking and laughing and religious purposes come out. It's almost like we are meant to be goofy at nighttime, but serious during the daytime. And dinner time allowed that almost release valve, in my opinion, to, to happen. It's something really important to point out. Whether you're eating around a fire in the cradle of life or in the 32nd floor in a skyscraper in Japan, dinner conversations shift more into storytelling laughter of religious purposes have kind of died down in recent years but like this i like this how this paper from university of utah put it 
Day talk for economic matters, night for social interactions. That's that's huge. And in case everyone's wondering, the earliest I could find for cooking with fire and humans eating around the fire was two million years ago in the Wanderwark Cave located in South Africa, which honestly I thought would be closer to the cradle of life, but it is interesting. They uh, took a sample inside this cave and found ash and it looked like humanoids occupied the cave, so they think this is the first time humans, or the earliest time they could find where humans had dinner together. Yeah, it is crazy, and I don't want to get into it here, but there's so many benefits that come from having that interaction of eating together at a table, specifically as a family, that uh, you probably never think about, because who does? Yeah, it's like trying to think of breathing. No one really thinks of breathing, it just happens. And this is going to sound a little weird with, with to everyone, but stick with me. The history kind of makes sense in this order. So cooking utensils, everyone agrees that spoons or some rudimentary form of it came first with a knife. They Those two were the first cooking utensils. You know, you grab a mussel, an oyster to scoop up parts of a kill, a knife to cut it open. It makes sense. But forks did not get on the table. See what I did there? on the table until about, two, <laughs> until about 2000 BC in China. Before forks were invented for dinner consumption, there were similar devices, but it was used as a cooking utensil to carve meat, not to eat food with. For the longest time, it was more traditional to have your hand and your, and your knife, and that's how you ate. The knife to cut the food, your hand to hold it in place and eat with it. And surprising, surprisingly enough, uh, Britain was one of the last ones to uh, keep this tradition alive in uh, Europe. Forks eventually made their way to Europe. And the story or myth goes, I had a hard time confirming the story, was when a Byzantine and Greeks were married, whether it be their family members or the actual marriage, a noble woman did not want to use her fingers to eat. So they used a fork to eat a gold-plated fork or a gold fork probably at this time just not plated a gold fork to eat and her being a noble and a rich person it caught on and the exchange of cultures began to grow which kind of makes sense to me because if anything history has taught me if the rich do it other people will follow yeah and that's going to be a theme in this uh this episode for sure <laughs> very true uh and, and nick i i looked this up just just for you in case you're wondering the first spork which is a fork spoon combo was and was patented in 1874 by Samuel Francis. So just a little tidbit, fun fact. I'm trying to determine if that's earlier or later than I thought the spork was invented. <laughs> it's a it's a conundrum. This one going back to the dinner table rather than things on the dinner table. Dining traditions, table setting, proper manners have been around since civilization began. Homer as in the Iliad and the Odyssey, even had some descriptions in his writings about dinners and what was happening. Uh, Romans had, uh, if I remember, granite or marble tables, uh, banquets and feasts all throughout the history. What's interesting about the Romans is, and this isn't 100% certain, but from what I've read, most people are pretty sure it was the Romans who invented like the round dining table, which was... Normally, people had like a rectangular table like we know, 
and that has a distinct head of the table, but a round dining table puts everyone within equal space of each other, and it's a more equal space setting. Yeah, it's uh, rectangular tables tend to be the common worth when tables were involved. Tables, tables for dining situations in modern and past is not necessarily a necessary item. Uh, I mean, just sticking with history a little bit. I mean, so a lot of up- a lot of cultures just use mats or really just like any air thing that designates where you're. The food is supposed to go and you're supposed to stop, really. Yeah, actually, I came across this really interesting hypothesis on why, uh, and some people in Japan, they eat on the floor. Historians think it stems from an old religion called Shinito, 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 uh, I'm not really good with Zero percent chance that's right. But the belief is that spirits inhabit everything. So sitting on the floor is a sign of respect and connection to the spirits. Which I imagine a lot of our dining, banquet, and dinner time customs all somehow must stem from either survival or religious reasons. Yeah, probably. And then I guess social reasons for, like you said, doing what the rich are doing. Oh yes, but I also want to like point out, like, like you said, Nick, many different cultures eat on the floor. It's for multitude of reasons. But back in the day of early civilization. Furniture is expensive to make. It's uh, a lot cheaper and a lot more people were poor back then. So sitting on the floor, honestly, just might have been just everyone started sitting on the floor and uh, just became the normal thing to do because more people were poor. Well, yeah, it's just like uh, how every culture's like food that is idolized is just the poor, like the poorest food from that culture for the most part just because that was what's readily available and that's what everyone associates with that culture so i mean it's probably the same thing with eating on the floor right oh yeah uh, also i want to point out nomads uh nomads culture they tend to eat on the floor which honestly just makes sense to me as an engineering standpoint because no one's traveling around the table yeah um, well it is interesting uh one of the things vikings used to bring on their ships was a collapsible chair it wasn't really necessary for dining purposes but if you haven't sat in a chair with a back for like a long time, it's actually uncomfortable just sitting on stools, sitting on the ground. So once in a while, having a chair with a back, it's got to be it's it's just a pleasure. So that was an item some Vikings brought. Those portable chairs. I mean, I bet you could get them at REI now for super expensive Viking chairs. <laughs> Nick, I wish I have a picture of it. It's honestly just like two blocks of wood. No, I'm it. just picturing like the tiny chairs that are like a hundred dollars that are collapsible. Oh God! No, no, no. I know exactly what you're talking about. The ones that should be footstools, not chairs. Good old tiny chairs. All cultures have such vastly different dining traditions. Some uh, men sit last, women sit first. Right hand only was a big one I saw in many cultures. Slurping is good. Slurping is bad. Elders eat first. No elbows on the table. Elbows on the table. Hands visible on the table. It's it's. I I imagine there's more dining traditions or customs and there are colors in the rainbow i 100 percent agree i think most of them are silly like we learned dining stuff in college like fine dining it's like cut with your right hand and then use your left hand to pick up the food then transfer it to your right hand to put it in your mouth what something that caught on from watching the royals i'm sure it just seems like way too much work well it's that's kind of funny because like the british were the last ones to use fork in europe so it's kind of funny it's all it, this is kind of out of left field but 
Do you know the British and, and us Americans, we eat, we use a fork differently? They use, they eat a fork. This is not, you know, this is just a blanket statement, but they eat a fork with the prongs down. We eat with a fork prongs up. Like we're scooping food. They're like placing food. It's really weird. Like I mean, the, I, never, uh, get, I never knew that. That really doesn't surprise me. It just seems like the harder way to do things. It's a, it's a good thing we're independent of them. That's all I'm saying. It is. It really, it, actually, that kind of, look at you, Nick, setting me up for a transition. The dining room, the dinner table, uh, what you, many of us think of us today is like a round table in the kitchen or in a little separate room or rectangular or square. It's more recent in history than many think. Obviously, it, there was banquet halls and, I mean, hell, myths about it, you know, King Arthur and the round table. But for everyday citizen, it's very new, especially here in America. In America, or at the time, the New World, people predominantly ate in shifts on small tables, sometimes on nightstands or in hallways, in their bedrooms or anywhere they can. The idea of a dining room was expensive. It was too foreign. It, it didn't appeal to people. It wouldn't be until 1772 by a Thomas Jefferson Monticello who would bring the dinner table to America culture. From him, it became a staple in wealthy homes. Eventually, like we see time and time again in history, middle class and poor people saw what, they hit, what the rich people were doing. So it trickled down to the middle class. But when it reached the middle class, that's when it t really took off. For the first time in American history, meal times started to form. You have to imagine breakfast, lunch, dinner, having all those specific times to eat. That's, that's a lot harder to do than one might think. For a lot of people are poor back now, back then. It was eat when you can and quite literally hand to mouth. So the idea of to schedule an eating time where everyone takes a break. I mean, the shift culture of, you know, okay, it's 12 o'clock, I'll go eat. And after at 1230, you'll go eat and then we'll just switch back and forth works. So this whole idea of everyone takes a break, stops, eats, all extremely brand new ideas which is weird to think about and as dinner and dinner culture and tradition became more and more of a staple in america and in europe so did the so did the traditions and etiquette of it they started getting more refined more pinpointy in fact this is when you start seeing schools books all on the etiquette of fine dining traditions apparently still alive today nick i did not know you had to take a fine dining class um yeah my fraternity had had it but we also took one at i guess i'd be junior high so not our high school i feel like that's a th yeah mcclure did one well i went to a poor school so i definitely i definitely did not do that <laughs> i'll be honest uh <laughs> there were like eight girls pregnant in every grade so etiquette was not in my middle school in junior high yeah but yeah it was uh not something i used so I mean, I'm glad I know it, but I'm never going to use it. But if I am in the scenario, I guess I know what to do. Ah, so you know which way the spoon goes away from you when you're drinking soup rather than towards you? Stuff like that. Yeah. All that stuff came around during the Victorian age era. Well, a little around the revolutionary time to Victorian day age era. So, so you see, you have the East Indian Trading Company and more trade routes opening up. So now you get more of exchange of goods. More people become rich, more exquisite parties. You start getting cultures, and you all, culture is not the right word. 
you start getting etiquette on how to eat dinner. One being fine china. And I don't know if you came across this, Nick, in your research. Uh, no, I did not. But before you get there, I well, yeah, keep going. Okay. Well, some people might be familiar with, or it's kind of a tradition that's died, is when you have a guest, you bring out the fine china. If you are just eating every single day, you eat normal plates and pans and such like that. That's a very old tradition. Not the, chi the Chinese uh, ceramic, but the idea of you have separate plate and cutlery for different traditions and different ceremonies. I mean, in, in ancient Egypt, some of the earliest cutlery we could find were spoons heavily engraved in, in design for religious ceremonies. And if you have a guess, I mean, I'm just thinking of like Greek myths, like uh, Midas Touch. Uh, I'm thinking like banquet halls, you know, esteemed guests. Uh, Nick, help me out. What's the word? Uh, not gauntlet. What's the what's the goblet? You know, special goblets for people to drink. I had to go to Indiana Jones for that one. It's all extremely. It's it's it, honestly, it's like Europe is making it up as it goes, and the rest of the world is following. Like the whole tea time. The whole fine china, forks on the left, knives on the right. It it's honestly just all made up, but it's you're a monster if you don't do it. It's honestly like a kid at a playground saying these are the rules of this invisible monster chasing you, and you decide to change it a little bit. And they're like, oh, how dare you! You've you've stepped on our traditions. We're all just trying to get away from the English at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they they those bastards have their hands in everything. An island conquered the world. It's uh, it's weird to think about. Well, speaking of conquering the world, Nick, I don't know if this is a little bit too far in your time frame, but World War Two. Okay, before we get there, kind of almost Victor Victorian times. This is uh, most meals at this time are what we would consider buffet style, where everyone eats the same thing, putting on the table in the middle or passed around, but it's all the same meal. And then. A, in Russia was actually the first one to serve individual meals to people like, you know, what do you want? You know, steak or salmon kind of situation. And this became a symbol of status because you had your whole meal cooked just for you how you wanted it. I feel like that was definitely a czar move. Yeah, which is just shows how much, you know, resources you have that you have people make individual meals just for people not everyone gets the same thing obviously that caught on slowly at first but when it caught on everyone was a a fan because they got what they wanted it showed how rich they were is a win-win situation and it's more the style of dining we see today when you eat out but still at home you have that buffet style because no one is cooking multiple meals for their whole family i wouldn't get i well what I mean, if it is, it's like it's like the parents are having like chicken breast and the kids are having nuggets. Like, it, <laughs> all right, yeah, it's not it's not like oh, the kids are gonna have like a you know risotto and the parents are gonna have McDonald's. baked scallops. Like, no, <laughs> yeah, very very true. It seems I don't know Nick if this is similar to you, but it seems like every modern cooking tradition kind of stems from like the late 1700s to in the 1800s that just bled into the 20th and 21st century yeah i'd agree it all seems relatively recent which is extremely weird to think about like i'm I, in my mind i'm envisioning the scene from the titanic where uh they're eating like a fine dinner but 
honestly, probably 50 years ago, all their movements and all the proper etiquette was probably just invented, which is kind of hilarious to me. Well, I think what for the longest time, all food was like buffet style or or all the same, right? So like the Last Supper, waitress didn't go around and was like, okay, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And I think now that we're in this kind of ordering your own thing, we're shifted from a more formal to a less formal society that that's kind of being shown in our dining preferences. And this, I don't know if we want to go up too much into modern times yet i but we i have a good transition well before we get into modern times i do want to make a caveat i thought this was kind of interesting uh the term break bread which is a very christian term comes from the wikilthi bible which was written in about 1395 which i thought was really interesting something like break bread to me i'm very i associate very much with christians and it's it's weird how much later that was written after Jesus's death. But moving on to more death and mayhem, World War II. Much like how many traditions are formed, war plays a big part of it. For America, the family dinner gathering around again to eat was solidified because of World War II. American propaganda started to advertise to make family dinners happen, to show strength and Uh, resiliency and that we're all in this together through family dinners and that's how like the nuclear age family came to be the nuclear age family being you think you know mom dad a daughter a son that whole happy smile kind of look that's kind of all from stems from propaganda of trying to reinforce people to have family dinners to sit down to talk amongst each other, to eat amongst each other, to be a small tribe again. But that kind of just brings us straight into the modern era because modern era has changed a lot. But from now to the 1940s and 50s was pretty consistent, Nick. And I think this is a great time to talk about modern examples. Yeah, so a little bit before that, I would just want to say if you're still not sure how important dining with others is just think of any pretty much any religion in the world and how important there's always a feast some kind of eating together in pretty much any society i can think of uh, and we're not going to sit here and, and name a bunch of feasts or gatherings i mean just thanksgiving is probably the one that comes to mind christmas but dinner christmas worldwide. dinner it's just uh it's important, but so you kind of touched on it with and this is more something I thought was interesting, and then we'll get into a little bit more serious stuff of how the time that we eat dinner, and again, this is kind of started in the Victorian age when people would get off work at five, people would generally eat when they get home, but then the upper class ate later because it was a sign of leisure that they had so much free time that they could just eat later in the day. So then the upper middle class was like, oh, well, we can do that. And then the middle class was like, oh, well, we'll just do that same thing. So then they just, now everyone just tries to eat a little bit later to show how much leisure time they have and how well off they are. That seems very dumb to me, but it kind of makes sense because I didn't know about this, Nick, but there used to be a huge difference between supper and dinner. Yeah. So before Victorian time, dinner used to be like a midday meal. And pushing it back just shows how much time you had in the day that you could have your midday meal later 
and it not be like the end of your day. Is it bad? I'm thinking of Lord of Rings and I'm thinking of Second Breakfast. <laughs> yeah, because it, it's interesting. You know, you have certain cultures that are, I don't know, like lunch dominated and then dinner supper dominated. Yeah, then- I, I would also say there's different breakfast dominated. I would say breakfast is kind of dominated by farmers. Like when I think when I think breakfast, I tend to associate it with farmers. Yeah. I just think uh, think the United States is a, a dinner community, and I have a quote here. Um, forget exactly what it—I'm going to paraphrase it if I don't get it exactly right. But Americans eat breakfast in their cars, lunch at their desks, and chicken from a bucket. But uh, the two things that I really thought were important is eating breakfast from your car and lunch at your desk, because I 100% eat my breakfast driving to work, and I eat lunch at work, and then I eat— when they're usually smaller meals because I'm busy and I definitely eat more when I get home. And I think that's something that's definitely pretty common in any like working family, seems like. Yeah, I would, I would definitely say a working class family, you kind of much like before dinner, dinner tables came to America, it was eat when you can. It was eat in small rooms, eat in your bedroom, eat in your now, I guess, car now. It was eat when you can. So I kind of have some numbers on like the modern or some facts on what's going on in the modern dining table dining room so right now americans are eating less together than they did before and this is current up to 2019 so i'm i could see it going either way with lockdown covid lockdowns of eating more together or less together i don't have numbers but i feel like that's open to interpretation i'm glad you said that i was having the same idea it's like well, maybe they get so sick of each other, they don't want to eat at the dinner room table. Or maybe they are they all that's all you have. That's the only social interactions you have, so you want to eat at the dinner table. So who's there um, per families? All, mostly what I looked at was families with kids. So mom, dad, kids, or dad, kids, mom, kids. I didn't really look at just, you know, married couples. That didn't seem as important, but... So who's missing dinner? Mostly the uh, parent, mostly the dads are missing dinner, which I didn't think was that surprising. Um, is uh, is funny. It's like well, some a lot of men are more likely to have jobs with their regular schedules, so they're more likely to miss dinner. And it quoted airline pilots like, oh yeah, that makes that checks out. Um, I have a regular schedule too, so my wife, if I'm not home by when she's ready to eat, she's gonna eat. So I get it. Um, next is uh, sometimes like obviously single parents, but for single parents, uh, the dad was still more likely to not eat dinner with his kids. And then it was, but not by much. And then the mom, it wasn't for single mothers. It wasn't that the mom didn't eat dinner, but it was that they ate at separate times. So for the study, it didn't actually count as eating dinner together. So the mom would like, do the cooking, have the kids eat, and then I guess clean up or something. But there's a time that passed between when the kids ate and that she ate that it was separate. Well, that that makes sense to me because uh, from a single parent household is you get home from school before your parent gets home from work. So, I mean, much like getting home from work, Nick, you're hungry. Much like getting home from school, you're hungry. So you kind of, that, that kind of makes sense to me. But even for like double parents with both parents working, there wasn't that lapse. There was for both parents, they ate at separate times than with them with their kid. 
No, well, for single parents, they're more likely to not eat with their kids. But for even if two parents work, they were still more likely to eat with their kids. Even it, so, like, I, I don't think it's the job thing. And maybe you know, there's more stuff that a single parent has to do than two parents. But if both parents worked, it didn't really have much of an, a difference. And in fact, parents who both worked had a higher likelihood of at least one parent being at a dinner compared to like one parent who was unemployed or so-and-so, which you think would be the opposite because you're assuming if a parent is unemployed, then why would they not have dinner with the kids? Well, to play devil's advocate, because I, one, I'm with you. My initial reaction is why don't they have kids? The second one is like, I'm thinking of a stay-at-home like parent who it might be their only time break from the kids. So they have their own me time or to do other things. Like the food is literally a distraction for the gremlins. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. But Nick, something I want to add on to that, something I thought was really interesting that kind of goes with your numbers is economics. The dining room table market, which is a sentence I never thought I would say, is decreasing and decreasing rapidly to the point where it's only going to be a few businesses. Like no one's ordering or buying dinner tables anymore. It seems like... uh, if you need a din- dinning table, you just go to Amazon, Ikea, or you just go to like a, I don't know, a garage sale, pick one up, refurbish it, and throw it in your house. Like, Yeah, everyone, okay, that's, of the few, the couple people I know who recently got uh, new dinner tables, they all just bought ones off Facebook Marketplace and either like re-sanded them or, or what. But my parents have had the same dining room table since I've lived there. Instead of getting a new one, they just sanded the stain off, put a, a different stain on it, and it's a whole new table. And that's the thing about tables is they do last a while. I mean, I guess not the, you know, probably Wayfair tables that are becoming more and more common. But I also, to your point, I do, Americans are dining out, or not dining out, they're dining out more, eating in less. So less, uh, less need for a dinner table, as well as with the growth of islands. And more Americans than ever just eating dinner on the couch watching TV, which 100% guilty of, probably shouldn't be, especially after, as we continue talking about this, the benefits of eating together. But I I definitely think that there's a trend towards no uh, dinner tables. And this is something that I had a weird tangent off of this. So if you want to keep following up, let me know. Well, I want to throw caveats into there because... I wonder how islands affect dinner tables because pretty much every apartment I've ever had has had an island. So you just ate at the island at the dinner table. Secondly, Nick, shame on you for eating on the couch. Yeah, I saw an astronomical amount of people eating on a couch or in their bedrooms. You fucking animals, you fucking savages. I The only time I'll eat in my bedroom is like it's a late night snack. I want a slice of toast. And the only time I'll sit on my couch to eat is like, I have a bunch of people over. We're watching a movie. I order pizza. We are eating pizza while watching a movie. It's, I don't know why, but I've always just sat at a table to eat dinner. I'll and tell you why. It's because you're a serial killer. That's, <laughs> you, you are a single man and you don't just like sit on the couch, watch TV while you eat. I'll watch my phone, but I'll be at the dinner table doing it. <sighs> That's weird. That is weird. I did not know that was weird. Uh, this is all new information for me. But no, it's always been uh, if I'm going to have guests over, like I'm grilling or if I'm cooking for someone or if I'm by myself, 
I sit at the dinner table and usually while I'm cooking, you know, like the water's boiling, something's in the oven, I will set the table, whether it be one plate or like three. God damn it. Now, now I'm thinking to myself, Hannibal Lecter, this is something Hannibal Lecter would do. I just, I, I am guilty of all of those, but the bed one is only, I have a physical job and I work long hours. And so sometimes I will, I get up early for work and get home late. So I will come home from work, shower, heat up dinner, eat it in bed, put my plate on the floor and go to bed. I'll, in you like 30 minutes, animal. 30 minutes I can go from getting out of my truck and from the shot, go to the shower, kitchen, bed, be asleep within like 40 minutes of, of pulling up if I need to. The only time I don't eat at the dinner table is when I'm eating at my desk and I'm doing like work. Like either work from home or something like that. Like I continue the day after I'm done with work. But I, it's always at a table of some sort. Whether I don't know if you can a desk as a table, but always at some surface in a chair. But if you put it on, what's the difference between eating on a desk in a chair and sitting on a couch and having your food on a coffee table? Though able to sit back and have a fixed back on your chair. I I think the height, the atmosphere, the I mean. To add on to more statistic, the statistic I'm talking about is the change in the housing market. Not people buying houses, but how houses are designed, laid out, and made. You son of a bitch. (laughs) Well, because a lot less people are eating at dinner tables because some people are fucking savages like Nick, or there's a lot less psychopaths like me still eating at the table, Uh, houses are now designed with no dining rooms. It's... I, if I remember correctly, the trend slash fad started in about 2006, where houses are not really being built with dining room rooms, which is a statement that's hard to say to my head. Everything seems to be transitioning, transitioning away from dining room rooms. Just entire areas set off for eating or much like... um traditions and religious beliefs like thanksgiving christmas dinner hanukkah you know i did just realize there's another unaccounted for reason why people aren't using dining tables as much and it's because their wives keep putting a bunch of shit on it so if you want to use it you have to move a bunch of stuff another reason it might seem personal but it just popped into my head i don't understand about horizontal services how why they get so filled so quickly but yes Dining room tables, uh, hard, hard thing to come across nowadays, a, a separate room just for dining, even harder to come across. Um, yeah, I mean, that's I'm exactly not... what I came across. Cause as someone who watches, I, I was going to say unhealthy, but I feel like a healthy amount. Like if I watch TV, me and my wife usually watch HGTV open concept is huge in South Park did a whole fucking thing on it. And it's I feel like we came to kind of opposite conclusions, Mike. So one with we kind of agreed with islands, the that islands are becoming big and most people are probably just eating at the islands, but with the older houses had the kitchen as a separate room. And that's generally how it had been for a long time where you had other people preparing your meals if you're upper class having a separate kitchen, you know, that's where they do that and even up until late you could, you know, work in the kitchen, do all your cooking, leave it a mess, come out, present a dinner without seeing all the mess. And I feel like 
due to the decline in people eating together, people working more, everyone's lives getting busier. People eating out more. People eating out more. But people are trying to destroy the walls that lead to the kitchen so that you're not wasting time alone cooking. That with an open kitchen, with the island kind of concept there, you can have that family interaction while you're cooking. I feel like knocking out those walls to the kitchen is that the family trying to buy more time together closer with each other than, you know, moms in the kitchen with the door closed, you know, cooking and kids are doing something else. But when you can have everything open, you can obviously, you know, whoever's cooking can be watching TV, but if everyone else is watching TV, you're all still somewhat doing something together. And so to me, having, you know, the trending of the open concept kitchen, especially post-COVID, to me, it felt like people trying to buy back some of that family time that we've been losing. Oh, absolutely. I imagine like a parent cooking for their kids is in the kitchen while the kids are glued in front of their the, the TV in the living room, but the living room and kitchen are connected. You can talk to them while they're, while you're in the kitchen, like, how was your day? It's like, oh. I saw this movie when I was about your age, you know, stuff like that. It's yeah, I I have a very similar conclusion as you do, Nick, of of islands is just a grasp of trying to keep that connection of your tribe together. But also islands are I, I love islands. It's just they make life so much easier. I have a prep space. I have an eating space. It's I don't have to worry about a table. I don't have to worry about when I move to move a table. It's just always there. It's uh, it's a luxury. Yep. And so I uh, I got the numbers as talking about earlier as talking generally, but study in 2003 found that 50%, 56% of American children aged 6 to 11 ate a meal with their family six or seven days a week. And the frequencies were higher for foreign-born than native-born, higher for Hispanic than non-Hispanic, and... Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, I I am it doesn't surprise that doesn't that that statistic doesn't actually surprise me. The statistic that I thought was surprising that is fifty six percent of kids eat dinner with their family in two thousand three. I felt like that would have been higher. Well, kids is a broad range. I don't know are if it. I I don't know your study, but if it's a specific that age was group ages that was eight, six to eleven, and then above that forty two percent. All right, the 42% is more surprising to me than the other. Because like 6 to 11, you might not know how to actually cook for yourself well, I'm yet. Well, like 6 to 11, what the fuck are you doing? Like, if you're not home or with like, I guess at a friend's house, which I mean, I don't know. It's not like you're gone at sports all the time. Well, for for me, it was like, oh, the streetlights come on, come home for dinner. So I I under I kind of understand that. But the, the, the interesting was that 40% number you mentioned of older, well, they're starting having their own social life. I mean, every teenager hates their parents. It's well that that's the number that's not as surprising. I I figured the younger kids would have a higher percentage eating with their parents. Oh, I didn't think the older kids would have that higher percentage. I thought it'd be more like in the twenty percent range, like just grabbing their food or and just going to their room. Yeah, another interesting what's it called tidbit oh, is that the meal. The time meals take is actually decreasing, or the time spent together for meals is decreasing. Is the cook time decreasing no, or the eating time the decreasing? the time people spend together. So from the time the first person starts eating to the time the last person is, or the first person, the time the first person starts eating to when the first person leads, leaves the table is decreasing. 
which isn't surprising. No, that's not surprising to me at all. Especially, it's, it's like I'm, that. You seen that the meme? I'll have to post it. It's like uh, spending two hours to find the perfect show to put on while I for while I eat my dinner, and then spending two minutes <laughs> eating my dinner. This is kind of left field. But when did TV dinners come out? Like I, this is I feel definitely like something we should have known for this. I feel like. Yeah, I feel like that came out like the 1960s. I definitely feel like that came out during the when the microwave was invented. I think the microwave invented for public consumption was in the 50s. So I imagine the 60s or 70s is when TV dinners came around. But I imagine that has a big influence on. Um, I mean, I would not, I would say fast food and TV dinners have a big influence on. I mean, it, I mean, it's hard to want to sit down as a family and eat as a tribe like our ancestors did when you're stuffing your face full of chicken nuggets from a, a restaurant. Like, it, it, it's there's something different when you just buy the food versus when you cook the food. Right, Nick? Or am I crazy with that statement? So the statement is you think that it's cooking the dinner is more likely to keep people at the table is what you're saying? Yes. Because I imagine if you're having a, I imagine you eat more with a home cooked meal than you do a fast food meal. Like I imagine in a home cooked meal, you're sitting around eating more, passing passing the mashed potatoes. Or it could be me just envisioning the nuclear family, the Hallmark family in my head. I don't know. I'd say yes and no. So for me and my wife, I'd say yes. When we have a home cooked meal, we spend more time talking. But in order to have a home cooked meal, we've had the energy to make a home cooked meal. When we do like a pizza or something like on a friday it's because we're just fucking exhausted <laughs> meal prep my friend meal prep oh we cook we cook food for you know usually monday through friday but sometimes you know it runs out on thursday because i had a big week and You're i was sure hungry hung- yeah i get that I and get so that. fridays are like whatever day but if it's been a long week that's we don't really eat out or anything but that's when we're We'll pop in that Costco frozen pizza or something like that. I'm going to be honest. You got to stop talking about pizza. I'm hungry. I haven't had pizza in like three months. Like you got to stop talking about pizza, my friend, or else I'm going to go get a pizza. Oh my gosh, dude. Last weekend I made a deep dish pizza completely from scratch. It was fucking delicious. You would have loved it. I am about to build a missile and send it to your location and I actually have all the means and tools to do so but do you know where i live yes i have your new address because i wanted to send you a, oh, a damn home it. gift. <laughs> i forgot um also i could just track your phone it's not that hard to do so on average family dinners last an average of 29 and a half minutes on the weekdays and they lasted 33.23 minutes on the weekends that still seems like a good amount of time it does me. seem like a good amount of time yeah and people this may be surprising. Younger kids spent less time at the dinner table. Older people spent more time at the dinner table. Shouldn't surprise anyone. You know, kids in and out. Seem like that's pretty. This is sorry, sorry. I, before I, I want to forget this, but that twenty nine thirty three. I wonder how that affects school school lunch times affect that. Because I know for different countries they have different lunch times and lunch uh uh and both the physical time allowed to eat and when the location is. I wonder if. Because I don't know about you, Nick, but when I was having lunch in high school, grade school, it was it never felt long enough. And I wonder if it's because of the social interaction of everyone sitting at a lunch table or not. Because that 29, 30 minute, 33 minutes fits in that 30-minute standard lunch in America for school kids. So you're thinking that that's why we have a 30-minute lunch? Uh, no, I'm thinking that 
it should be longer for school kids because that's their social development. Because I don't know about you, mm. but when I was in school, I felt that lunch was always too short. Like I always still had food that I had to scuff down the last five minutes because, you know, you were busy talking, making jokes. It was it wasn't enough time to eat all the food and have the social interactions. Yeah, well, I'm a fast eater, so it didn't really bother me. But I also, for probably other reasons, I thought lunch was too short. But, I mean, that makes sense. And I think that's a perfect segue into why dinner is important, We've, unless you wanted to keep talking about this. No, that actually works perfectly. If we can, I'd like to talk about how dinner is important for children before adults first. Yeah, that's works for me. Well, straight off the bat, children who eat family dinners tend to eat healthier. Which in a day where obesity is a like number one it's heart disease is the number one killer in the United States. Yeah, it's uh, it seems like it, uh, like a correlation of stop having family meals and obesity increases. They just but children seem to have the most beneficial from family meals, and I want to stick on children before we get to adults. But adults also benefit from it. But Nick, why don't you take it away? So. Just talking about, like you talked about, obesity and body mass index. Families who ate dinner together not only had significant lower body mass index for adults, uh, but as well as children. But if you stay till the whole, so not just everyone eats together and then as soon as you're done, you leave. When you all leave as a family, it lower, it can, it lower, oh fuck, I'm trying to figure out how to say this. It lowered even more the body mass index for boys. Something that I thought was interesting. Um, wait, wait. So simply staying there with the whole conversation helps increase body fat loss or keep, uh, maintain your uh, your BMI? Yes. Interesting. And I'm, I'm very surprised that affects men more than girls because girls tend to have a fat, higher uh, body fat percentage than men. I'm, I'm, that's That's surprising to me. Another interesting thing that came out of the study is that helping cook dinner was associated with higher body mass index for girls. Well, let's let's be honest, Nick. Have you ever like made a cake or cookies and you I mean, the I don't know what the spindle things are for the mixer, but there's some on there that they the batter needs licking after you've put all the cookies on the plate. Like, well, it's I, weird that they specified girls over boys. Like there wasn't a super like a, a the correlation with boys wasn't as much as was with girls. If I could play devil's advocate on this, maybe it's just a stereotype of um, a dad not wanting his son to help him grill, or a, but a mom is much more willing to allow help than uh, a father. Just food for thought. Da-dun-ch. Yep, P- puns. Pun. Come on, that was a bloody good one, you bastard. I quietly shook my head so that's that's all you're getting <laughs> you son of a bitch but um so a study yep keep going a, a study i came across it's i'll be honest like this was an awkward study i don't i don't understand their word choice or their layout it was just weird all around but it's from the new uh directors for children and adolescent development found that children develop their vocabulary more at the dinner table than if you read to them so that being said like Every, I don't know what the exact correlation is, but this is just an abstract just to get the point across. For every, like, I don't know, 33 minutes of dinner is more than a, you know, reading a couple chapters before bed for the kid. They develop their vocabulary much better and much wider at the dinner table than they did having books read to them. 
which I thought was very unique. It's almost like the child being forced into that social interaction was able to make a better connection because if I had to make a hypothesis, it's because they were seeing that word used in that scenario and the tone and facial expressions of the person using it. So like I use the word, um, I don't know, trees and I have an angry face on my head. So maybe trees are associated with badness or something like that. Or, or, or I say the word boss and I'm saying that with an angry tone and expression that the turn so that might, you know, start using that terminology they grasp it far faster and better than if i read a book to them of like, like say reading harry potter before they go to bed yeah i saw the same thing about literacy as well as just un- understanding having dinner table conversation kids are better able to understand like you talked about social cues and, and stuff picking that up from their parents which it does make sense right you know like a, a hearing someone read a bedtime story somewhat you know one-sided but seeing two people have a conversation who you know picking up on body language and tone and all that you know thinking about everything that's going on i feel like yeah it makes sense you can learn a lot more from that well if i can also add on to that if i'm reading a kid's book to a kid it's kid vocabulary vocabulary if i'm sitting at a table and i'm talking to my significant other i'll use different vocabulary so that forces that child to learn that new word that, that also comes to my mind. Yeah, so I did see that. I don't know if this, this ties into what you're saying. It's not exactly what you're talking about, but that study that examined the body mass index versus you know, people who eat dinner together and don't and stuff like that, they said that families who had m- more meaningful conversations tended to have lower BMIs. Don't know how that was measured. Uh, it's just They just had a small comment in there that it's important because it may suggest that potential importance of social dynamics that can occur at dinner um, at the very least it underscores the potential danger of relying on television instead of meaningful conversation because eating with the tv on was significantly related to the bmi of parents is it bad as soon as you said meaningful conversation i was thinking of rick and morty and i was thinking of jerry trying to have a conversation with the uh rest of the family and everyone just ignoring him uh that's probably like a perfect example <laughs> of most dinners yeah I mean, just in general, family dinners benefit kids so much. I mean, now, I don't know about you, Nick, but when I was was seeing research done on family dinners, I was seeing a lot more earlier research, like 2006 or earlier, not so much more presently. Yeah, that's kind of what I came across, too. And I feel like that was part of the, uh, wasn't there like a big health thing going on back then? We're really concerned about something... Well, I thought there would be more studies with the Michelle Obama whole BMI thing. I, th- I imagine there would be more studies about because I would say there's an asterisk on all data pre-2007. I don't remember when the Apple phone came out. When social media came out and the I- and smartphones came out, I imagine that's night and day compared to data. But I, I do want to say family dinners is true back then. It is true now. Tend to prom- promote education a older study so again take it with some salt um found that eating dinner as a family during a child's school years is a uh, predictor for high achievement scores in school that was from the university of michigan in 2001 but i feel like that still entails to today of having a family dinner helps show a prediction of a better school student now that might 
depend on if social media is allowed or cell phones are allowed at the table. But I would still say that information still holds up today. Yeah, I definitely think it's not only, yeah, I mean, for, for developmental reasons, social reasons. I mean, there's, I don't feel like there's any huge cons to eating together. Time is the biggest, you know, price, but small price to pay to spend time with family. You know, it's, I realize it's tough and I obviously need to do more of it, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things that it's not like some of the other topics we discuss where it's like, you could do this or you could do that. It's kind of like, this is good. You could just not do it and you won't have these benefits, but it's a pretty simple, like black and white, more so than pretty much anything else we've discussed, I feel like. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, to kind of tie the past and and children development for dinners together, uh, something I thought was very interesting, and I'd, I've not come across any studies of this. This was of my own food for thought. You got to stop. <laughs> you got three, you're good. Can't stop, won't stop. Uh, dinner is so important in child's development that kids even mimic dinners. And what I mean is toddlers making mud pies, kids having tea parties, toys like easy bake ovens even being targeted towards kids. I just remember putting a bunch of like shrubs and strange berries into a bucket making soups, which I did not eat because I would have died. Oh, well, I... I was catching frogs when I was like six or seven and we, I would like, can we kill it to eat it? And everyone's like, no, don't do that. Uh, but it's, it's something so primal in us to want to help with the tribe, to help make dinner, to help bring food on the table. And it's something in our development of knowing how to cook. That's, that's a huge development. It's not just sitting at the dinner table because, you know, with open ended, uh, you know, floor plans. The kitchen and where you eat are combined now. So knowing where to cook, how to cook, and implementing it to the dinner of eating and having a conversation are almost one and the same. Having conversation while someone cooks, to me, Nick, is very common. If I'm cooking or, you know, if I'm living with someone, I'll have a conversation with them while they cook. That's just very common for me. It's just, it, it's, it's very fascinating to me on how much has changed in society, culture, and technology, but yet how similar at the end of the day we are. It's almost like we are the same thing in a different scenario. Completely agree. I want to talk a little bit about the present and the f- maybe the future of eating together with some weird... Well, if we can, I'd like to talk about the benefits for adults before that. Now, adults... Also eat better, like children, when they're having a family, quote-unquote, dinner. But a major one that I saw, which is especially with COVID times and the whole world's simply on fire, is adults tend to have lower depression levels and rate of suicide that if they eat with a family dinner versus if they don't eat with a family dinner. I mean, it's, I, I don't have the statistics offhand, I can't quite find them, but it's astronomical. It's night and day. It's a few meals a week can make the difference in a person's life, both whether they're 50 or they're five. It's quite fascinating to me. And eating healthier was a huge one. I'll get into gastrophysics later, a little bit later on, but adults nearly saw the same benefit as children, minus the vocabulary, but the same health benefits of lower BMI, um, lower depression, lower suicide rates, Uh, less stress, but that tends to go away. 
But something I thought was interesting that kind of bled between adults and children was the benefit of sharing one's food. Sharing food increases level of oxytocin and it increases social bonding significantly. Like going through trauma and sharing your food is just the greatest way to become friends for life. And a big part of the nuclear family in World War II America was the neighbor moves in, you bake them a pie. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, break, bread, uh, break bread. But because less people are eating around the dinner table, less people are sharing food, which makes weaker ties. Having shared meals, shared experiences, shared conversations makes a people a tribe. It's almost, it's almost like sitting around the fire, Nick or dinner table is a staple in what a tribe is and without it it's almost like you're an individual not a tribe yeah i mean sharing food is at the center of most of our socializations especially as a family our most of our big family events revolve around food even just non-holidays we have a big breakfast for my grandpa cooks for all of us, which is like a lot of people, and people bring in food, just like anything. Everyone brings in food, and you know, you that that contribution. It it's kind of like everything else in life, where you get in what you put out of it. You know, if you come in and you make like a nice dish, you feel better about yourself. Everyone feels better, you know, about you. You contributed. You know, you come in with like a bag of lays. You're just kind of meeting the bare requirements. You probably don't feel as involved as part of the community. But I mean, sharing food, it, yeah, sharing food is, it's such a part of uh, being human. I mean, living in a rural community, like a hunting, fishing community, people sharing and meat for certain things or, oh, I got some salmon or I got some tuna or here's some elk. Like it's just, you know, I, oh, I got a bunch of blueberries or I got extra eggs. Sharing food is just such a, a part of life in like a, a rural setting. I feel like it's just a, I feel like that's a very human thing that I didn't see as much in the suburbs where I grew up. But I, I feel like that's, uh, it feels very natural and it feels as a very, a very good way to make people part of the community. Poor choice of words on only human thing. A some animals actually share food, though it is rare. Uh, mainly primates, or what I saw were animals in the same tribe. So dogs may share with other animals in the household. Cats might share with other animals in the household. If they're all part of the same tribe, Cats animals sharing? share with each other. <laughs> Cats are famous for, for being compassionate animals. <laughs> uh... But when it's part of your tribe, it's a lot easier to share. I, I'm, I'm curious if the reason why you don't see it more in the suburbs than in the rural area is because more people know each other in a small town versus a suburb, which is much larger, or city, much larger. So I imagine you want to share food with people you know or your tribe rather than strangers. I think that and part of it is there's more excess food in our area, in a rural area. Like have people, you seen how much food is wasted in cities and thrown out in suburbs? Well, there's a difference, right? You're getting like the raw form of food. There's a, like some, I, I someone who someone who has chickens. They have a lot of eggs. Just they got more chickens than they need. Whatever it is, people who have chickens, I feel like tend to give eggs away or sell them pretty cheap just because they have more they bargain for. Or you killed an elk. You don't have the freezer space. You went out. You caught a tuna. You know. You want to celebrate. He gives people some food, 
you know, you try out a new, you got a bunch of a deer and you made a new recipe for your jerky. You want someone to try out your jerky. Like, see, I fucking told you it was spicy. So I feel like you you have more access to surpluses of food in a rural community than in a suburban community. Because I, I do agree in the suburbs, you definitely have access to a wider variety of food. But you're paying for all that food. And I guess you technically, I mean, like if you go and catch a bunch of fish, you're, you're technically paying for it, but it doesn't seem like the same thing when you're doing it. Well, to build up upon that, I mean, from what I saw researching this is suburb and city tend to uh, buy more prepped meals. They're, they're much more likely to have, you know, eat in the car like we were talking about earlier than they than rule. Rules seem to be a little bit more traditional in the aspect of eating at around a table for dinner yeah and i do did have kind of a problem because i had a hard problem figuring out when they say like prepped or from scratch of where do they draw that line because look like if i'm making like a pizza i'm not always gonna make the freaking dough from scratch right I, i'm i'll buy a, a pre-made dough or like if i'm doing like a stir fry i'll buy like the frozen pack of chopped up vegetables or or what's it called the uh, dutch oven thing with the ground beef and and cornbread you just make the yeah the, the, the corn, cornbread it's like so where's the line i don't know of of just everything is made to be super easy with cooking nowadays it's it's hard it's it's cheaper to not go from scratch and easier and there i feel like there's a difference when they i feel like the obvious difference would be like you know, 90% of the meal is made beforehand, right? Like the difference between a TV dinner and, you know, baking a, a pizza where you bought the crust or the, you bought the dough and you flattened it out. You put all your sauces and meats and whatever in there. Then like Well, it's a just TV putting dinner. work into it. It's just, if you have no work, you have no association with it. You have, that's just separating us from our ancestral beings. Like, Having to go out and hunt versus, you know, having to put the work in to make the food versus it's just handed to us. I imagine it's a huge part of why gluttony exists in America. Yeah, well, it's 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 super easy. I mean, look at the the rise and fall of bread baking during the pandemic. Everyone was making bread. We ran out of yeast. We ran out of flour. People found out this is actually time consuming, expensive and difficult. And now we have a surplus of yeast and flour. <laughs> In places, it's still spotty, but it's definitely not what it used to be. And pretty much, I feel like 90% of the people who started breaking, baking bread have stopped baking bread. Yeah, I would agree with that. I imagine the breaking of the bread was just purely out of boredom and they, they needed something to keep their mind busy. But yeah. So do you have anything else on why it, it's important? Why it's important? No. But the importance in the dining room? Yes. Okay, you want to talk about that before I go to my thing? Sure. Nick, we're going back to science. And it's an exact science, which I is my favorite science. Gastrophysics. Gastrophysics being the study of how we experience food based on our surroundings and senses. Now, this might sound crazy. Sound Portland-y? Uh, but it's a multi-million dollar industry because it affects billion dollar industries such as restaurants fine dining uh yeah it's it's a very important it 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 may may or break or break of why a company designs white plates versus red plates like that's that might sound pennies on the dollar but those penny the dollars if you're making you know five million plates 
that adds up real fast. Speaking of plates, the color of the plates, the weight of the utensils, the music playing in the restaurant can all change the family meal, the dinner, the out the restaurant experience. And it'll even change how much you enjoy the food. Something I found some tidbits information is the heavier the utensils, usually the better the food tastes. So if I have really heavy forks and knives and spoons, it could be the same soup, but it will taste better if I have a heavier spoon. So I believe that 100%. Yeah. If you want to eat unhealthy snacks, eat them on a red plate because apparently the redness makes us cautious of if this is poisonous or not. So we eat less unhealthy food when it's on a red plate versus any other color plate. Uh, it's it's night and day. Like, which, uh, Nick, you might not be familiar with this, but if you go to certain restaurants where it's kind of restaurants where you kick, uh, if you're wearing a hat, they kick you out. They play certain type of music and they train the waiters to pause on when uh, to come to your tables because they want the music to make you buy more drinks. For if you buy more drinks, you'll order more food and tip higher. and It'll be all more expensive. So there's like a whole science on behind the entire atmosphere. Like we were talking about round and square tables. Round tables tend to be better when it's like a, like a Korean barbecue, when it's like a large feast style and everyone shares. Rectangular tables tend to be better when it's individual meals. It's a whole entire science that affects huge amounts of industries. I mean, you're talking about people making silverware, people making plates, people making tables, music being played in restaurants, restaurants themselves, what food served at restaurants, like the whole order. Like, um, like they found that having a bunch of small meals of different types of food we can try a lot tends to make you like the restaurant more than if you have a small advertiser and a big meal. For if you have a bunch of small meals, you remember it more because a lot of people tend to actually forget about restaurants. It's To me, it was utterly fascinating. And I actually added a new book on my book, long 200 some odd book list of gastrophysics, uh, the science of, <laughs> of uh, dining and eating. But it makes a big difference. I mean, I imagine everyone listening at home and yourself, Nick, of when I say a dinner table, you might think of a dinner table when you're having a kid, the dinner table in your home right now, the colors, the the atmosphere, the wood table, the island, or for your case, Nick, the the color of the couch because you're a fucking heathen. It's I have a dinner table. I just don't eat at it that often. Unless we have guests over. Anyhow, you're a heathen, and I'm a psychopath. We'll keep that. We'll, 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 you know, we'll stick with those lanes. But everything matters. The color of the plates, the, 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 the silverware, the dinnerware, the color of the walls, how bright the lights are, all that changes on how we like our food. And I imagine that's got to have a big, a big aspect in the dinner. Because I imagine having a family dinner, sitting around, and having the proper tools and the tool belt of having a proper uh, a meal that's more memorable, so having utensils, the right colors, makes you want to have that family meal more, makes you feel more satisfied at a family meal more, makes it, I imagine it's just a snowball effect of just so many more things happen because you have it properly set up. So that HT, HGTV that you're watching on the couch might actually be useful for designing your kitchen if you're going to eat at a dinner table. I have heard a little bit about that, like how if you have a bigger plate, you're going to eat 
more than if you had a smaller plate, which is funny because whenever we're eating, my wife picks a smaller plate and does not eat as much as me. And I always go for the bigger plate so I can fit more food on it. Oh, you know, there's a whole entire industry of diet silverware. So there's diet forks, spoons, and knives so that they seem smaller so you eat less or bigger because they so you'll eat less I, I don't remember the exact ratio but there's an entire industry on diet cutlery and silverware yeah i completely believe that but i just wanted to add gastrophysics because to me that's that's amazing how a few decibels in a song can change how much you eat which changes how much a restaurant makes that to me is utterly fascinating so here's something you'll find fascinating mike are you familiar with mukbang or mukbang that actually sounds familiar but i can't off the top of my head remember what it is it originated in korea and it's basically a live stream or a video of people eating and people tune in or watch it later to have the to get the feeling of like they're eating with someone i am familiar that those videos exist but secondly that's also very creepy to me so I guess it spawned in South Korea because there's a lot of problems with people being lonely or, and not having people to eat with. And so these people just stream like what they're eating and they talk about it. And then they started, you know, going live and people could interact with them. So it's kind of like you're not eating alone. Um, in 2016, Twitch added it to one of their like channels. They called it a social eating. And uh, they're kind of just like, Dude, you know, we don't really know what to call this, so here you go. Is it bad? I'm happy that people found some connection, but also kind of angry and sad that it, that it exists. Yeah, Um. so it, it's super sad. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but Bands, he's one of the bigger content creators in this world. He has 3.08 million subscribers. Uh, there's... A bunch of other people it originated in korea but it's kind of it's it's expanding but it's definitely bigger in asian countries areas than than western countries there's some of it out in our neck of the woods but definitely not as much nick that's that's a that makes me really sad because that's like more than a thousand times of all listeners we've had put together and it's just a guy eating dinner that well he's also he also interacts with people and so it it is like like if you don't have anyone to eat with you literally can like chat with these people and they respond and it's like you're not dining alone which is so i would i would say western world does the same thing then was the you watching tv or me on my phone i imagine it's the same it's just the same thing we just have something to distract us while we eat it's just some people want to watch other people eat while they eat well, this is, I feel like this is more so than like me and my wife watching TV is distracting, but this is pretty much like to simulate eating with someone. People watch it because they don't want to be lonely um, is, but all, you know, some people watch it because it's entertaining or they like the personality, but I feel like it spawned out of people. Desperation. Desper yeah. People not wanting to be eat alone, but it's also crazy because these people, these streamers are making a ton of money because people give them just like any other, you know, content creator on YouTube where they got like the tipping thing or wherever they're, you know, Twitch, they're streaming or whatever they're doing. People can give them money. They got sponsors like in their eating. And then there's certain types, right? Like you can have people who eat 
just like normal people food. Like it could be any one of your friends you're having dinner with. Then you have people who, as they get bigger, they get like more expensive food and then they talk about it. Sometimes people like people who talk more about the food that they're eating. Other times they want to just simulate like a conversation like we talked about the importance of conversation while they're eating so it kind of depends but i just thought it was crazy there's this whole industry on just you know it 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 reminds me of like this is like a clean only fans right like like it's a sadder version of only fans i complete well i don't know if it's sadder i i i honestly would put them on the same part but also uh Nick, this is the wrong episode to of uh, not eating today <laughs> to talk about dinner and food and pizza and such. Oh, God, this is but that I I've heard of it, but I am surprised on its popularity. I that it feels like there's a bunch of people craving one another, but they're too scared to go out and find one another. Yeah, yeah I feel like that's happening in our society more than just people eating together but oh completely agree might be uh, a bigger well, I ma- problem I'm, yeah i well i imagine eating with each other is a byproduct of meeting people because i mean it's one of my favorite things to do is grab some friends and go out to eat or have a barbecue together like that's it's one of my favorite things it's so simply put on some tunes get some cold ones have the grill it doesn't even have to be good food it can be burnt burgers but just burnt burgers some mustard and pickles and everyone's happy it's just it's it's less on the food than more and more the atmosphere but nick that's that's all i have for the science of it but i do have some philosophy questions for you i don't know if you have any more science to add on or if you want to switch to the philosophy questions no let's let's switch i'm pretty much out so we were talking about social interaction especially with children on how important it is of you know eating together talking with your family talking with your friends at school but i'm i'll be honest i'm a person outside looking in i come from a single family home so cooking dinner by myself was kind of a major thing um having a food allergy also changes something and that kind of leads me to my question i'm wondering because i couldn't find any studies on it and i specifically looked for it how does having a food allergy affect bonding amongst your tribe because i i from an outsider looking in like going to birthday parties. well how do you you think you're doing mike I doubt that this is the reason why I'm a psychopath, <laughs> but I did definitely helps. I'd say it's not looking good. <laughs> it's not looking good, but honestly, I should probably not be the uh, par for people with food allergies. I, I imagine I'm more on the extreme of a spectrum, but I'm just wondering on how, like, someone has a peanut allergy, someone has a herpes corn syrup allergy, someone has a shellfish allergy. How that affects your social network, your interactions, both as a child and as an adult. Like um, many times as my as an adult, I've been invited out to friends. Like, hey, let's go get drinks. People order appetizers. I can't eat. I say, no, no, no. I, you know, I have an allergy and stuff like that. And to be honest with you, it almost seems like people stop having a conversation with me more. Like I seem less important, and my words don't matter as much. That's just my initial reaction. Or I could be inside my own head, but. I'm curious on your thought process, Nick, as a person who has no food allergy of living in that world, how do you think a food allergy affects interactions with a tribe, with a group, with a family? Well, I may or may not be allergic to peanuts. So I used when I, I was when I was a kid. I don't know if I still am, but I just don't eat them. 
but that's like a common one that probably has zero effect and it wasn't never like the i was never the kid in fourth period or we went to school where if you had like a bad peanut allergy you ate lunch first so that no peanut contamination was in the in the lunchroom when you ate that was not me but uh i mean i I think people just more stop talking to you because of who you are but uh really i feel like people just stop talking because they don't want to ask like what your allergies are and they're like now what do we fucking talk about this guy fucking killed the party it's just like it's i feel like it's just more people don't know how to respond to like oh what's polite to say now so let's talk about something else i feel like is what's going on that could be but to me it almost seems like i'm different so that way i I, i'm someone who should not be part of the tribe so to speak like if everyone you know you just kill a mammoth everyone's eating the mammoth and you don't eat the liver they might look at you weird and be like well why do we want him he's a weirdo like it's it's i don't know It, it could be that i'm too close to the scenario to see an outside perspective or I'm overthinking it, but it, it, I don't know. It seems like almost a basic nature of, oh, you have an allergy. We, we should get all the weak genetics out of the tribe. Yes. Yes. That, that, that definitely comes to mind, but it was just, it was just something curious to me of, I didn't see any studies done with the correlation of food allergies, diseases, and family dinner. Like it was always the standard. I mean, why would you? Because a lot of fucking people are sick. Yeah, but when you look diseases. at a family dinner, what family is going to cook, you know, like say you're allergic to peanuts, it, what mom's going to be like, all right, guys, we're having peanut butter and jelly for dinner tonight. Like, fuck this kid. He can't eat. No, what well, I'm thinking more of like j- just in a broader sense, like imagine the father has leukemia and he's on a smoothie old diet. So they make a specific smoothie diet for that person. Like we said, individual cooking versus group cooking, like we were mentioning earlier in the podcast. I'm just wondering how if a person's injured, a person has a specific food diet, if a person's uh, going through a disease where they can only eat certain things, like Lyme disease or something like that, on how that changes the family dinner dynamic. Because like, honestly, Nick, I couldn't find any downside to eating dinner at a dinner table but I also feel like the studies weren't done on a large spectrum. They were only done at like the nuclear family level of either single parents or a father parent and a one and a half child household. I mean, that's a very oddly specific study to be conducted of like food allergy effect on eating habits with group of friends. No, no, no. It, look broader, not just food allergy. Let's just look at disease. If someone has a like a like a disease, whether they're born with whether they're born or develop cancer, whether they're missing limbs, whether they have to have like a carnivore diet or vegan diet, heart disease, just any disease in general. That's got to affect and that's got to play major. Let's go with heart disease. Uh, Americans are having or getting killed off by heart disease quite commonly. So I imagine that's got to have a huge effect. And why is there no studies on how that affects family dinner? Of One, I think you're overthinking how concerned Americans are with heart disease. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's touche, touche. I think a better example would be uh, vegans or people who choose to not eat meat for environmental reasons. And I think more of a social, like now we're seeing a lot of the, the gluten-free, you know, people and uh not celiacs just like people who don't eat gluten and i to that i would say one there's definitely like more going on there than than diet where you have like a group of people and you have 
uh, I can pick on vegans. You can have vegans. They might be alienated and people, it might be because it's correlated with because they're vegan, but it's the causation isn't because they're vegan. It's because of who they are personality wise, if I had to guess. No, I would agree with that. I, I would say dinners and family meals and group meals in general are social interaction and it's less about the food. It's more about the personality. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like now is probably the best time to have any sort of food allergy because everyone is Fuck making- no, it's not. Everyone if is- I was born in, <laughs> If I was born in any other goddamn century or any other country, I wouldn't have this problem. Because everyone is making up their own food allergies anyway. So it's like- you know, every <laughs> no, no, it's not Nick. <laughs> yes, Mine is. is solely on the development because of 21st century America trying to fucking shove so much in a can when it shouldn't shouldn't do that. But I don't understand how that's like a huge, like a like socially. I don't understand the like Pete not getting invited out to dinner. Like, what's the? I guess I'm just confused. Like, no, that right there is a perfect example. Like the amount of times. I don't get invited out to dinner simply because of my allergy. Even though I want to go, I'll just have a few drinks. Hell, I'll be the driver. Like, I just want to, you know, like, uh, just hang out with my friends and eat. Like, they, they can eat. I just want to, you know, hang out with my tribe. But because of a food allergy or because of a disease that you don't get invited. That, now granted, like you said, it could be personality basis, which I'm not disagreeing with you. I am a bit of a handful and that's being that's being generous, but I I feel like there's a almost subconscious decision made of a person who like for example, this is this is a very broad stroke. If you don't like spicy food, I don't invite you when I'm going to a spicy restaurant. That makes sense. That doesn't mean though that the person you didn't invite wouldn't want to go just to have a conversation. You think you're being nice for not inviting them. But if you invite them, you're a dick because you're invited to a place they can't eat. It's a non-win situation, but I imagine that's some subconscious decision-making going on there. Probably. But that, that uh, I, mean, I feel like that happens more. I feel like people make those decisions to like make their lives easier. Like if I'm going to the rodeo, I'm not inviting my friends who don't eat meat for animal cruelty reasons. <laughs> like I and I get it. They maybe they do want to come, but it's just a conversation I don't want to have. So I can see where you're coming from, but I also feel like that's a conversation that just needs to happen. I feel like that's an easy communication fix from friends. I feel like where you struggle there is like I like workplace acquaintances. Or like not good friends where, yeah, I can definitely see that happening where it's like, oh, well, he's got fucking weird fucking diseases and we don't want to hang out with him because he can't eat whatever it is that we're going Selfish to Selfish or something. Yeah. Well, well and also reason- look, I mean, uh, everything now comes down to liability. Like if you're going to a work function and you're allergic to shellfish and they invite you, I feel like that's just opening up the door. I, I don't really, I don't know why people do anything. Everything's open for liability, for liability but- I don't know. This just seems stressful to me. It does. I just to me, it's just so interesting on how much meal group meals are a social interaction more than the food. Like, doesn't matter what we're eating. It could be no matter what culture, what time. It's the group and atmosphere you're eating more than the food you're eating. And I, I 
the liability thing is a whole clusterfuck, which I don't want to touch with a 10-foot pole. Uh, but it's just, I don't know. See, when I think probably all your th- friends are worried about killing you. <laughs> no, no, they're not. No, they want me No dead. one wants to be the one that does it because, no, that's not true. No one wants to be the one that doesn't do it correctly. Uh, bold move on saying that I have friends. Uh, but I don't know. I just, when I think dinner and dinner table, I think more of the social interaction than I do the food. The food's almost like a byproduct. It felt like if I'm picturing a scene in my head, it could be, you know, I don't know, mashed potatoes, like Thanksgiving comes to my mind. Well, but I, I it, definitely agree. I got a good example. Like if you're like, if me and my wife are going to go out to dinner, we invite a couple and then we figure out where we want to eat. Like we're asking for company and then we're figuring out what we want to eat. That's fucking weird to me. I don't like that. What? <laughs> I'd rather know the location going, hey, me and my significant other are going here. Do you want to join us for a double date? That's what. That's how That's how the process in my mind would go. Oh, not as laid back enough. It's like, hey, we're, we're looking at going out to eat. What are you guys thinking? Yeah, no, fuck that. I, I'm, I'm taking, no, they're they're going where I want to fucking take them. Oh, that's why you're eating ability fucking problems are not getting you invited to places <laughs> i said it's it's probably not all my food allergy it's definitely part of my personality but it's i don't know i hate indecision so i was like i just i'm making a decision i'm going with it i hate when people all there's again, a like, difference between indecision and asking someone <laughs> where they want to eat mike all right let's be honest here nick you probably have asked your wife or that's like or north some other that's people, like north korea oh, no, 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 you shut up. You probably have asked your wife or, or some friends, like, what do you want to eat? And they go, um, I don't know. And then you say suggestions like, no, not that. Or they're fucking indecisive. No, you you choose a goddamn place, you go there, and it doesn't fucking matter because you're, you're already there. There's a difference between that and asking someone to eat. Your example is like North Korea judging the United States because we can't decide who's president until we take a vote. It's like, <laughs> Well, I should just be president. That's that's how we do things. <laughs> no, you're, that's that's too extreme. You're you're telling me you've never been in a relationship or dealt with people where they were indecisive about choosing a restaurant. Mike, I can't explain this to you because you're not married, but I am married. I know what you're talking about. Exactly. So don't but, you just choose a restaurant that you know they'll like and just be done with it? No, I just text the husband. And then he tells me what they're thinking. And then I say, this is what we're thinking. And then we figure out where we want to go. We also live in a small town. We don't have that many fucking options. All right. That might be a big difference of city versus rural there of like, there's so many options that I just choose an options because there's too many to choose from and people are indecisive. I'll be honest. I hate when people can't make a bloody decision and food, especially one of them. It's like, it's like, I'm hungry, but I'm not that hungry. It's like, I don't know. I feel like spicy, but not that spicy. It's like, no, we're fucking going here. I don't want to deal with this. If you don't like it, you can leave. Yeah, I I agree. Indecis- indecisiveness is annoying, but you're never going to get away from it. So Yes, it is. If everyone just makes a bloody fucking decision, it's not hard to decide. You're like, oh, that sounds good. I'll do that. Or if like, you go, I don't care, then don't complain where I bloody fucking take you. I know you're okay with this, but I just wanted to reiterate that you are never going to get married. Oh, God, no. I'm honestly surprised I've lived this long. I'm surprised I haven't blown my own brains out yet. Surprised no one else has blown your own brains out yet. If we're <laughs> Probably the more likely scenario. <laughs> uh, they, they definitely fucking tried, but <laughs> I'm a better shot. Fuck you. Ugh. Well, I think we're getting a little too far away from the dinner table, Nick, and... uh. 
not to sit up back on the couch, but uh, I that's all I got about <laughs> for me. <laughs> I couldn't help myself, but I don't I don't really have any more philosophy questions or or rants I want to go on. I'm not sure if you have any. Nope, that's all I got. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Reddit and Backyard Philosophy Podcast. Our Facebook page is dead, so don't go there. And maybe Twitter, depending on things how they played out, which I never thought I would say. <laughs> yeah, we're. We could be full on on Twitter in a little bit here, so we'll see. The the Never say never, I guess, is the motto of that story. True, true. But also, out of curiosity, what book are you reading? I am reading uh, Wood by Rolandinos, How Wood Shaped Civilization, and also kind of reading History Laid Bare by Richard Zacks, which is just like a collection of weird stories about uh, sex from history as like a light reading like the twitter it's it's just it's a smut book it's a historian smut book yeah but it's all like small it's just like translations from past texts into english and so you can just like read it for like 30 seconds and then put it down you don't have to like there's no plot it's very mind-numbing and it's better than being on a phone a collection of short stories one could say (laughs) even shorter than that it's just like each thing is like half a paragraph, so it's super easy to like, I want to look at my phone. Nope, I'm going to look at this instead kind of situation. What about you? What are you reading? I am still reading Geometry for Ocelots by Xperia1. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his... Uh... It sounds like a credit card a bank wants you to yeah. buy. Well, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. It's E-X-U-R-B-1-A. Like it's, I, I'm just, I'm going with Xperia. Sure. Uh, not going to touch that. But, yeah. But it's, uh, it's really good. It's like uh Dune or Brave New World meets Alice in Wonderland. I, I, this is, this is definitely in top 50 books I've read in a, it's definitely my top 50 list, but uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's just funny. It's entertaining. It keeps me guessing i highly would recommend it's a it's a good fiction book if you're looking for something fun to read but not wanting to not not wanting to dive into every detail like say lord of the rings or something like that just a it's just a fun book all around and with that being said hopefully we've convinced you to eat more around the dinner table and not the fucking couch nick and also thank you all for listening Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.